Hello again. Welcome to There Are Three of Me. I'm Gabrielle Lawson and Philippe de Lamatroc, and I have been Inacorio. Those are my pen names. And last time I discussed what to do when you can't physically write. I'm going to call that part one because we're going to talk about it again. Okay, what to do when you can't physically write. I, I've only been one week and one day since I had my thumb cut open and felt somebody move around my tendons. Yeah, <laughs> I had surgery, trigger thumb surgery on my thumb of my right hand and I am right-handed and I write by hand. So obviously holding a pen for a long period of time, well, it's still tough. I can use my thumb a lot more than immediately after the surgery, but there's still times when it definitely gives me twinges of pain. So I can make notes with my hand. I can make small, you know, things. I've made um, notes while I'm at work, for instance, checked off things on a check checklist I have. Um, I do my stats on Sundays uh, for all my, you know, fan fiction stats and I'm able to make little notes on that. So yes, I can physically write, but not physically write. You know what I mean? When I am writing a chapter, a scene, that's long-term writing. It's not a note here and a note there, a, few, a phrase. It's sentence after sentence, paragraph after paragraph, and even writing the notes when I was doing my stats, occasionally, I would hurt myself. So I don't want to hold a pen with a lot of pressure. I don't want to, you know, just wear out my hand when my thumb is still not healed. I don't get my stitches out for another week and a day. Today is the 17th of October. I get my stitches out on the 25th. As I approach the 25th, will I feel less squicky about using my thumb and my ability to hold a pen? Uh, perhaps. And so I'm doing this part two of what to do when you can't physically write. Now, before I go into that particular thing, I thought I'd offer you something you could use in your own writing, perhaps, if your character, for instance, had surgery. If you've never had surgery, how do you know how it feels after surgery? This is my first surgery. Oh, I've had colonoscopies, I've had biopsies, but this is my first multiple stitches surgery that I've ever had. And so I thought that as soon as the numbness wore off my thumb, there would be a whole lot of pain. There wasn't. There was a bit of an ache at first. He said over-the-counter Tylenol, Tylenol or ibuprofen. So, you know, that's what I did. But then it was more like, just if I move my hand, you know, my, spread my fingers too wide, but spread that thumb back, or apply, you know, in, in any way that that thumb, you know, pulls against those stitches or, or something, that hurts sometimes a lot. And 
if I think I'm going to be doing something that will mean a lot of movement or risk to my thumb, I will wear a thumb splint. So I don't have to worry about it. That thumb will not move enough in that thumb splint for me to, you know, to hurt it in any way. And if something strikes it from the outside, well, along the thumb is, you know, the outside of the thumb is where the stiff part of the splint is. So it's protected. So it doesn't just ache. Now, given mine is about an inch long across my thumb. So what, it, what, what can we learn from that? Well, it's a, it's a fairly long thing for a thumb. You're not going to get a six inch incision on a thumb. There's just not six inches to have, but it's on a part of my thumb that actually has a lot of movement. This is what sets us apart from the animals. This is the opposing part of the thumb. This is the part of the thumb that can reach over, not all the way to the pinky, that takes even further down, closer to your wrist. But my incision, if you're starting at the tip of your thumb and you go down past the first knuckle to the second knuckle, my incision is there, but on the inside of the hand, on the palm side of the hand. So that is where a lot of movement goes through. So it restricts some of that. I can pick up a glass with it, a full glass. The more weight though, the more risk I have of pain. Now would that translate to say a large incision across someone's abdomen? I wrote aftermath and I had um, Zussman, and we've read that here, so I can, I can spoil it. We've had Zussman have a, an internal bleed, which they had to do exploratory surgery to find the ruptured spleen. So he had a large incision over his abdomen, which is a very bendy part of the, your body if you think about standing up and sitting down. So I would imagine that would be a lot more, pa more pain. Um, a woman ha giving birth through C-section. I would imagine that would be a lot more pain. But I'm surprised by how little pain there is on that very mobile part of my thumb. And when you look at it, it is so crowded with stitches, I can't even see an incision. Um, I do see some swelling. So if I look at my left thumb, there's a lot of wrinkles and whatnot at that part where the webbing goes between the, the thumb and the first finger. There's a lot of wrinkles and stuff, but there's no wrinkles on the right side because it is swollen right around the incision. Um, but I don't see the incision. I do take off my bandage every day, clean it, and I do it very gently. I first clean around the incision, then I just kind of tap the, the the incision and this is and the stitches with my soapy finger to kind of clean it and then I rinse it off and then I just pat with a towel I do not rub with a towel as you can imagine I'm afraid of hurting it I'm afraid of stretching it beyond the stitches I'm it, it's just kind of squicky to have all those stitches on my hand you know I get um, nervous looking at somebody giving me a shot or taking my blood. I have a thyroid issue, so once a year they have to check my TSH, so once a year I get a blood test. And so they have to take some blood. I look away. I used to donate plasma, so I can take the needle. It's not that. I just 
can't stand to look at the metal protruding from my arm. It's a foreign object. So even when I gave plasma, I made them cover it with cotton so I wouldn't be able to look at my arm and see metal pushed into it. <laughs> um, give that to a character, uh, maybe. But eh, so now you've got the point of view of somebody who's had surgery on a very movable part of the hand. Um, I've never had great pain with it at all. I think the worst part of the pain was when he gave me the shot to, to numb it before it went numb. That was the most pain. Except for occasional sharp pains where I've, I've overdone my thumb. Um, so I wouldn't have guessed that. I'm writing a story in the one I need to be in right now where Malcolm Reed has had major surgery multiple times while he was in, you know, Jiren, but now it's, it's, um, he's brought back to earth. He has to have a heart transplant. So he's had a very large incision down his sternum, um, and his ribs spread and all that for the new heart to go in and the sternum being reinforced with his sister's, um, fused with his sister's sternum so that it's a stronger sternum because it had been broken so many times. He's had very large stakes put through his wrists and right where the nerve would be. So it's going to dis it would have displaced a lot of the bones, if not crushed or broke them in his wrist and damaged the nerve there. So Dr. Flox was able to kind of put it back together, but there was nerve damage in the surgery. They have used some of the donor's nerves to um, fix the nerve problem and, of course, make sure that wrist is as it needs to be. Now that, because of the displacement or breaking of the bones, is still splinted and will take time to heal properly to full movement and probably physical therapy, where on his ankles, he had cables going through, kind of pulling on and pushing on nerves in his ankles, but did not break his ankles, no, no stakes. So he didn't have bone damage, he had nerve damage in his ankles, but he did also get donor nerves in his ankles, so he would have incisions on his ankles. And I would imagine then that the ankles are kind of like my thumb. Probably not a lot of pain unless you overdo them. And that's a new insight I have because I've had the surgery. Um, he also had something done to his eye um, because his eye was taken out during um, and probably cut open um, during to, to some extent uh, during his stay in Jiren. Um, and now they've repaired it with donor material. I won't go into details on in, in my writing on how much of either of those because I don't know. Um, it probably would behoove me to talk to someone who's had cataract surgery or laser eye, eye correction surgery to ask them how they felt post-surgery. I know somebody. I may talk to her. Um, it's good to take notice of real-life experiences 
and put the, use them for our stories where appropriate. It was a lot of guesswork when I wrote um, post-surgery for Zussman. And of course, in later Star Trek times, well, things are very easy. Healing is easy. <laughs> you run a dermal regenerator over it and it's done. So, you know, and, the, and a broken bone can be healed almost instantly. So it's, it, it's easy in Star Trek TNG or DS9 times. It's not so easy um, back in the 12th, 20th century and maybe not the 21st or actually I guess it's the 22nd century for Enterprise. So, you know, um, I can make it a little easier than now while um, not making it so easy as the later tracks. All right, so there we go information that may be useful to you from a newly you know post surgery new post surgery experience by me so take it what the take with with that what you will use it as you can and uh, i hope it was helpful to someone at least so let's move on to part two what can you do when you can't physically write you can read yeah Writing takes reading. To become a better writer, one of the main things you should ever do is read. My personal philosophy on this, I don't know if it's scientifically accurate, is that you do a lot of reading when you're young. You read better books as you age. Maybe you take some classes. Maybe you're in a writer's group that discusses writing techniques. All this stuff goes in your brain and kind of percolates there, kind of in a big old pot that stews. And then the outcome, you're a better writer. You start first by emulating stories you've already heard or read. And you start to emulate those writers, but eventually you find how you write you, how you write your own writer voice. And that becomes you. And you may find that these literary techniques that you didn't think of when you wrote just happen to happen. Um, but it comes through the osmosis of reading and talking and learning about writing. But reading is a big aspect of that. Usually... Six-year-olds do not start writing stories, at least not great stories, <laughs> you know, they can write stories, but being a good reader, a reader of good stories will make you a better writer of good stories. So if you can't physically write, it's a good opportunity to catch up on the fan fiction that other people have written. So just as I had a decently filtered and excluded a whole bunch of stuff Marvel list so I could read Bucky stories that I might like, I have a Star Trek Enterprise list. And it had, let me see, 1,084 works in that. 
And starting from the furthest page back, so the oldest stories I've read or pulled up new tabs to read, as many of these stories as I can that interest me. And I go by the title and the, sub, the summary and the tags to read stories that, I, you know, hopefully I'm presented with stories I will like. But I'm doing it in the fandom that I want to be writing in. So I'm staying with the character that I love and want to write. So I'm because I'm trying to get to where I can write the 10th chapter of um, Finding Home, my Star Trek Enterprise story. This is Philippe de Lamatroc's story. Um, I want to be with Malcolm Reed. And so my readings have to do with Malcolm Reed, whether they're a trip story that deals with Malcolm Reed or Malcolm Reed story or Malcolm and Hoshi story. I'm gonna, I want to read those stories and keep in the fandom, keep in that character, keep finding nuances that maybe I hadn't thought of that I could pull in. We're not going to take certainly a whole story or plot line from an author without their permission, but nuances I hadn't thought of. Nuances we can, we can borrow. This nuance might be a kind aunt that saw the difficulties in his birth family, but gave him for a couple of days over Christmas a friend, you know, a just a lovely, loving relationship with his family. So that is beautiful. It made me cry. Is there some piece of that that I can take out? Not the aunt, not her, her, her husband, not that name, but some nuance. Maybe there is a bright speck in his family with his parents. Well, not with his parents, but in his family, his extended family. I've kind of decided that Malcolm Reed had a normally, fairly normal a relationship with his father. Maybe strict, maybe a bit navel. <laughs> um, you know, yes sirs, and it's father and mother, not mom or dad. Um, it's, you know, yes or no sir, but still a, a loving relationship um, with his father until the point that he was drowned. And I'm taking that story that he was drowned from a published book. And of course, anytime I bring it up, I do reference this book. It's called The Last Full Measure. It is a Star Trek Enterprise book by Michael A. Martin and Andrew, Andy Mangles. And it's brilliant. So the idea in this book is that he became aquaphobic at the age of 12 after a couple bullies drowned him. And it's a much better story than that. I highly recommend this book. Again, that's Star Trek Enterprise, Last Full Measure by Michael A. Martin and Andrew, Andy Mangles. That's M-A-N-G-E-L-S. Like angels, but with an M at the beginning. It's um, put out by Pocket Books. And it's a very good book. It's been out for a while. I have not kept up with the Star Trek Deep Space Nine or Enterprise books of late. Which is kind of sad. Uh, but And I know my friend Una McCormick has written a few um, so maybe I should, but I haven't. But I do love the story of when he's 12, when he gets drowned, and 
14 when he gets his revenge. Um, and it's rather diabolical <laughs> until he changes his mind. And it's just brilliant and it fits in with the show very, very well. And so I wanted to borrow that. And I told that story, had Malcolm tell that story, those two stories, to Hoshi in Alien Us. And now he's told them to his therapist in a very different way in Finding Home. Now, I don't want to give away too many specifics about those two stories because I haven't read them here yet. I also don't want to read any other stories into my podcast till I've really got a good handle on where chapter 10 is going to be. I'm going to lead. I have written before my surgery a couple scenes or maybe one scene. No, I think a couple scenes. It's much harder now that I've had like a year away from it when all those 12 Bucky stories hit and I didn't trade off like I used to do. Um, I've said before, when you have multiple whips, you got to try to find a way to deal with them all. And it is harder the more whips you have. It's best to have one. If you have one whip, it is much easier to stick with it and be deep in it. Alien Us took 10 years to write. I wrote very few stories at the same time, and they were short. I know I wrote Welcome Home, which is a Deep Space Nine story, in 2010. Alien Us started in 2004. So obviously I wrote Welcome Home during the writing of Alien Us. But it was a short story. One and done. So that's not a problem. But when you have multiple multi-chapter whips, it gets very hard. And the more you have, the more problematic it gets. And unfortunately, I just can't seem to get myself less than four. I had five when I was writing Aftermath. There was four, and then I started writing The Honored again, so that was five. So I had that, and when I, as I approached the end of Aftermath, I just stayed in it, got it done. Whew, down to four. And then I finished The Honored. Whew, down to three. No, Bucky got a whip. Darn it. I was only doing one shots of Bucky, but then I was doing another one shot of Bucky and another one shot of Bucky and another one shot of Bucky. I had 11 one chapter short stories of Bucky Barnes. So that wasn't giving the other three whips a shot. I wasn't alternating. So all of those stories haven't had an update in about a year or more give or take. Could be a little less than a year. I haven't looked at the actual dates, but it's been a long time, long enough that the readers might think I have broken my word and, and abandoned them. And that's not the case, but it is harder to transition back to them, which I found interesting. I am imagining Malcolm Reed. I'm in the right story in my head, but especially now that I can't physically write, I'm not imagining as much as I should, as I could. I want to spend all my brain's free time in a story. That's the way to write. With Alien Us, for the most part, with that occasional short story thrown in there, that's what I did for 10 
freaking years. And it were, they were hard years. There was an abusive relationship in my family. Not my husband. I won't go any further than that. But it was awful. From about 2011 to 2017, and I finished that story, started in 2004, in 2014. So it was a very, very difficult time in my life. But when I wrote, I was, you know, when I imagined I was with Malcolm Reed and Hoshi Sato in, in Jiren and Bukhtanis, I was in Alien Us until I finally finished it in 2014. So it is so much easier. One whip is a good goal to have. I saw a post on Facebook, someone in there, she's a teacher, so she has a lot, very little free time, but she has seven whips and can't find a time to write any of them. Whew, that, uh, four is too many. Three is too many. Two is hard. One is ideal. Does that mean I abandoned three stories that I have to write the one? No. If you have multiples, try to keep them up. What this has taught me is I had an easier time when I would write one chapter of one, switch, write another chapter of it, switch to number three, write another chapter, switch to number four, write a chapter, move on. It was actually easier to switch from one to the other let's say after one chapter, it was easy. But to go back after writing 12 stories, one with five chapters so far, and a year, it is harder to transition back and get deep into that story. There was a time before Bucky came into my head that I absolutely wanted to stay with Finding Home. I was so far into Malcolm Reed's um uh, point of view, his his mind, the, the state of mind that he was in, and I'd like to get that back, and I haven't quite got there. I can write, but it's not as easy. It was just flowing before, and I missed the flow, and I took too long to get back to the flow. So I'll give you this advice. In my experience, if you have multiple whips, it's easier to alternate them. It is easier to alternate them in relatively short time periods. My four whips were in four different fandoms, so yeah. <laughs> but when I went back to Ignis and Final Fantasy XV, I was maybe only a month or two away from writing them, so it was easier to switch back to them, write another chapter, that's a short chapter, and then it was not too hard to go back into... Um, Snart and Legends of Tomorrow because I had been there like two months ago and put out another chapter of that. But now that it's been a year or so, give or take, it is much harder to access the enthusiasm, the ideas that I had back then, to remember what the heck my notes made, you know, my notes made sense then. Now they're, they're harder to make sense of. So in my experience, it is easier, unless you're really close to the end of one, to alternate them. 
rather than spend a long time in one than spend a long time in the other. So right now, it's taking me longer, especially when you throw in a hand surgery, to write the next chapter of Finding Home, which means it's even longer since I've been in Perchance to Dream or Momentous. So see, it is gonna be harder to make the switches for those as well. But I can't do any of them until my hand heals enough to hold a pen for a long time. So reading is what I do, I'm doing. And I would uh, advise if you are unable to physically write, read within the fandom, within the characters that you want to write. So you stay with them and don't have your mind going playing scenes from some other fandom. You want to keep them where those scenes can hopefully play in your story. I have sadly read a story or two that were so good, my brain spent a little time in the, the potential sequel for that. It was a very old story, though, and got no response to the comments, so probably couldn't get permission to write a sequel. <laughs> so I need to keep my mind out of that and get it back in Finding Home. And then do like I said in part one and take voice notes. I have taken at least one voice note on the on that story. But anyway, there we are. It's been about almost a half an hour. Um, you got some information on what it's like post-surgery on your thumb <laughs> or small inch, inch, inch size incision in a part that moves a lot. So maybe that helps somebody in a story that they're writing in the 21st century or extrapolated to other centuries as needed. Um, I haven't needed a lot of painkillers. I haven't needed to do anything. I just put um, antibiotic ointment on it when I clean it. Clean it, put antibiotic, dry it. Antibiotic ointment, cover it again. Um, so it's not, it's not been that bad, it, but it does feel very, very, very strange to have foreign material in my hand stitches. So <laughs> yeah, um, I'm sure there's other people in the world who've had surgery and probably don't care at all that they have stitches, but yeah, the stitches kind of squick me. But you've I've also discussed the other thing you can do to stay, you have your imagination stay where it needs to be, is read in your fandom, in your characters. Okay? How have other people written Malcolm Reed's story? How, what stories have they told? What You know, what kind of things have gone through their imaginations that might give you nuances for yours? I will also say I'm going to read maybe not all of Alien Us, but I'm going to read the reviews and comments from Alien Us. That might help to juice up that motor, you know? Sometimes kind of putting the super fuel in the in the tank of, uh, of my muse to get Malcolm Reed's story going to get strong in that imagination um, so that when my hand can hold a pen I will be raring to go. I have had times and strangely unfortunately not in it right now where I have physically felt the need to write where I wanted to do writing more than anything else. Like I'm doing grocery shopping 
in the store and I just can't wait to get home to pick up a pen and paper and write. I'm jonesing for writing. That is a great feeling to have and it makes a great time to write. I'm not presently jonesing. I talk about writing being my drug of choice. It is. I'm addicted to it. And when I don't write or don't imagine, I'm in a very bad mental place. But when I can continue to imagine, when I can write, I have not played video games for over a year. Not because I don't like video games. I got video games I want to play, but I wanted to write more. So <laughs> that is where I want to be to write this story. There is a game I want to play. I watch my husband play it and I'm thinking I can play it after my thumb gets better. That could get in the way of my writing. So I, I don't know if I will play it or if I'll time myself. I did get uh, motion sick watching him. So that will be a boundary. <laughs> Maybe I can play it for 20 minutes and then put it away. Time to write. Maybe. Maybe they can coexist. We shall see. But for now, I'm going to keep reading. I've got some stories that I just put in new tabs and I haven't read them yet. And I will keep reading. I will keep imagining and I will keep taking um, voice notes. And hopefully by next week, I'm hoping even with the stitches, I'll feel like I can hold a pen. And then I can write. Here's hoping. See you next time. I'd love to hear from you. You can tweet me at inhildi. That's I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I. My email is inhildi at gmail.com, spelled the same way. I would absolutely love to hear from you, but until then, see you next time.